man, that song, y'all. I must have listened to it like a dozen times in this past week. And like, it, it doesn't get old. I'm still right there, you know. Um, it makes me think of my grandparents. They're in their mid-90s. And they live with my parents right now, which is really great because it means that I get to see them often. And it's been really interesting for me listening to what they're not talking about. As they're 94 and 96, um, even though they had really great careers, they don't talk about it. Uh, they were able to travel. They took really great vacations. They lived in a really nice house. And they don't talk about that either. What they are spending a great deal of time talking about are the people that they've loved in their life. And it's causing me to ask myself, am I doing things today that are building the kinds of relationships that I hope to look back on when I'm old? And so I want us to all kind of take a minute and I want us to ask ourselves the same question. Like, what type of relationships do I really want? So chances are you want friends that are loyal, that are there when you need them, and that allow you to be there when they need you. If you have kids, you want your kids to trust you and share their life with you and understand that you're for them. And if you're married, you want a marriage with grace and forgiveness and just kind of the grit that it takes to navigate the ups and downs of life. And that's all really great news because those are the types of relationships that God wants for you too. The Bible spends a tremendous amount of time talking about how to treat other people because God cares very deeply about our relationships. And that's what we've been looking at during this series are these passages called the one another passages that we find all throughout the New Testament. And these are just God's guidelines for how to do relationships. Um, a couple examples of these. Are a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Or accept one another as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Or be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Doesn't that all sound great? Like, wouldn't you love to be a part of a community that was really, really good at living out the one another's. But here's the deal. Like, real life is messy, right? And real relationships are really hard. And honestly, I've been let down by people who have failed at living out the one another's. And, and it hurts. And it leaves trust issues. And it leaves really good reasons to hold back in that relationship and in future relationships. And also, I've been the one to fail. And I've been the one to hurt other people and leave scars on them. And, and it's a mess. And it really makes you just want to take a big step back and say, okay, is this like close relationship thing really even worth it? Because there's a whole lot of heartache involved here. There's a whole lot of risk. If I let people close to me, it means that they have the opportunity to hurt me more or to be careless with the pain that I've already experienced. And honestly, it's just going to be way easier if I have a few acquaintances that I can hang out with once in a while, just enough people to keep me from feeling too lonely, but not anybody that's like really there with me, not anybody that's really close. And yes, I get it. Letting people close is a risk. 
And, and I want you to be wise about who you risk closeness with, but I also don't want you to go through your entire life with a whole bunch of acquaintances and no real friends. And so as scary as it is to let people genuinely close to us, I want to talk about that tonight because I think there are some things that we are all doing that can stand in the way or as a barrier to the kinds of relationships that we really want. And then there's some great things that we can do that will lay a foundation that will foster the types of relationships that we want to look back on when we're old. And the first thing that I want to talk about that getting scary close means that I have to put tech in its place. Listen, y'all, it's 2021. We all use our technology um, to communicate with one another. And listen, I'm not anti-technology, okay? If you were to come into my home, we have TVs. My kids have iPads. We have Hey Google, which is something that turns on the lights about every third time that you ask it to. I don't know. We love tech, Okay. But what I'm saying is that in many ways, especially when it comes to communicating with one another, our tech was designed to remove some of the things that actually foster intimacy in our relationships. So my first example of this is that my phone lets me be selfish. Now, don't mishear me on this because I'm selfish all on my own, too. Okay, but my phone gives me only content that I'm interested in for as little or as much time as I am interested in it. Even if I'm being productive, my brain literally gets like this buzz of satisfaction from feeling like I'm doing something really important. If I'm just online, like these apps that are on our phone, they have a job. And that job is to keep me as entertained as possible for as long as possible. And so these apps have gotten really, really good at watching what I'm looking at and what I'm clicking on and feeding me more of that content so that I have a hyper-specific feed that's geared just towards me. Guys, this is a world that revolves around me and my interests and my hobbies, and I love it. I have kids. They don't care about what I'm interested in. <laughs> Guys, sometimes it's hard to listen to my children's stories because they're long. <laughs> they're not about me. So if I'm faced with a decision to stay on an app that's feeding me only content that I'm very, very interested in or listen to another eight minute story about rainbow unicorns from a four year old. Y'all, there's going to be a struggle there. But one of my goals as a parent is to foster this great close relationship with my kids. And I just can't do that if I'm distracted in a world that's revolving around me. Um, sometimes my kids will call me out because my older two especially are old enough to do that now, which is great. And so my older kids will say, Mom, don't get distracted. Um, and there's this one time that my youngest, she couldn't quite get that word out. And so instead, she said, Mom, don't let your phone take you. I heard that because I understood what she was saying. This was like her four-year-old plea of saying, Mom, don't let your phone take you away from me. But if we don't fight really hard 
to keep our technology in its place, that's going to be what it does. So it's not really a question about whether your TV shows or your apps or your gaming or whatever it is is good or bad. The question is, am I trading real-world impact for whatever is on the other end of the screen? And I get it. You and I all understand the tyranny of the urgent, right? And the things on this device, they feel so important. And real-world, face-to-face conversations often don't carry that same sense of urgency, And so when there's a battle between somebody in the room with me and whatever is on this device, oftentimes that real person conversation loses. The next reason I think that our phones especially can get in the way of building really close relationships is that my phone lets me be in complete control. Think about it. When I'm texting, I can leave a message unread and I can wait until I'm ready to respond to it. If I'm writing a text message, I can edit, I can rewrite, I can delete so that the other person on the other end of that text, they receive the most polished version of what I want to say. When texting, you receive me how I want to be received, not as I am. But they say that anywhere from 70 to 93% of communication is nonverbal. And what they mean by that is that you are gathering more information from the tone of voice, the way that a word was spoken, and body language than you do from, like, the written word itself. And when you have in-person, face-to-face conversations, you just don't get that level of control. I stutter. I have long, awkward pauses. I have to think about what I want to say next. I have to listen to you and try to gauge what you're thinking based on your body language and how you're receiving what I'm saying. It's more complicated and it's more messy, but it's worth it. So a couple of months ago, my husband and I, we decided on a new dishwashing schedule. Yeah, this is like the hard work of marriage, y'all, for those of you who aren't married. We both equally hate doing the dishes. And so we like sat down and we finally decided that like, okay, every other night we'll just alternate who does the dishes, right? And so I wake up one morning and I realize that Matt, my husband, had not done the dishes on his night. And I was a little frustrated, which is a lie, because I was mad. But frustrated sounds better. Okay? And so... I hate conflict, right? It it just, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't enjoy it at all. And I normally avoid it, but this one kind of had me like riled up enough where I'm like, no, I need to, I need to address this, okay? And so I did what many of us may do. And I stayed mad for an hour so that I could wait for him to go to work so I could send him a text message about it. And my husband, being the man of God that he is, he got this text message in the middle of a meeting, y'all. And he gets up out of his meeting and he drives home so that he and I could have a face-to-face conversation. (laughs) You can applaud him for that. I had told myself that sending the text was the kind thing to do. Because face-to-face arguments are uncomfortable for me. But if I'm really honest, y'all, I wanted to feel like I was in control of that situation. I didn't want to have to look him in the face and say, hey, this hurt my feelings. And I didn't want him to look at me and see that I was hurt. Like, we're married and we love each other, and it still just felt too close. 
It felt too vulnerable. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about texting. It doesn't. But it does talk about how to do confrontations with one another, how to do conflict. Jesus says in Matthew, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And listen, I may be reading too much into this, but when the Bible says go, I think there's this strong connotation of going to be in person when you confront somebody. But again, it feels scary. And it feels really close. So while I was writing this, I was really convicted about how I use my tech, especially around my family. And so I made a commitment to myself that when my kids walk up to me and they want to talk to me, I just I take my phone and I put it down. That's it. Because my kids and my husband, like, they're so much more important to me than after-hour emails or social media or whatever it is. And so I just wanted this, like, tangible way to, like, remind myself and to show them of, like, hey, you're my priority. You're more important to me than whatever is on here. Do you know what I learned doing that? I learned that I have way more of a phone addiction than I thought I did. And so I want to challenge us today to just find one way that we can fight to keep our tech in its place. And it can be really simple. It could just mean that during family meals or or family time that our phones are in the next room. Uh, Maybe it means that you have screen-free hours in your house or you take whatever your phone time percentage is and you just lower it. Pick a number, just lower it. Maybe it's just that you commit to calling a friend and having dinner or coffee with them instead of texting them about your day. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be dramatic. But my point is that if we don't actively try to keep our tech in its place, it will take over. And our phones and our technology are really, really good at a whole lot of things, but growing closeness in relationships isn't one of them. All right, so we've talked a little bit about things that can stand in the way of closeness in relationships. And so I want to talk a little bit also about how we can lay a foundation where great relationships can grow. And the first thing, we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but we have to get comfortable with confrontation and with conflict. And here's the great news with this. You don't have to go out and find it. If you're in relationship with people, conflict is just going to happen, right? I'm messed up and you're messed up. And if we have a relationship together, it's really only a matter of time before conflict and confrontation needs to happen. But here's the deal. In our cancel culture, you can either view conflict as a reason to walk away or to cut somebody out of your life, or you can view it as an invitation to intimacy, Because when I'm upset and when I'm hurt, oftentimes that is a window into my values that I don't articulate when everything is fine. When we have confrontation and conflict, that's also an opportunity to both forgive and be forgiven. And getting scary close means that we forgive one another. And I get this. This is one of those things I say and it's like, oh, I don't like forgiveness. It feels scary. Our one another verse for this is be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
And listen, this is one of these things. This is an invitation to intimacy and closeness in relationships. Because what we do when we forgive one another is that we communicate like, hey, I understand that you're not perfect. And this is a space where you don't have to pretend like everything's fine. And I will forgive you anyway. And when we refuse to forgive one another, among other things, like we've cut that person off altogether or we've taught them that mistakes just aren't okay around us. And we can't have trusting and close relationships in that type of environment. But I also want to say about this, that some of you are in a situation where it's not safe and it's not healthy for you to be in a relationship and continue a relationship with the person that hurts you. Like that happens. But even if you never see that person again, forgiveness is still what keeps your heart tender and open to what Jesus is doing in your life. And when you hang on to that pain and that hurt and that anger, like it feels like you're still in control of the hurt. And so it feels good. But that's just not the truth. What it's doing is it's making your hard heart, your, your heart hard. And it's closing you off to the relationships in your life that you do want to keep. And it's closing you off to your relationship with Jesus. So forgiveness is one of those scary things. It feels like this big leap of faith, but it is absolutely worth it. The last way that we can get scary close with each other is that we can fight for authenticity. This is one of these things. It's like a scary faith step. This is not where we're going to go naturally. Naturally, we're going to want to protect ourselves. We're going to want to protect our hurts and the tender parts of our life that we're not really ready to share. But if we want relationships with authenticity, like I promise you, it's going to feel like a fight sometimes. And we just can't have both, right? I can't keep people at a safe distance and also have really close relationships. I, I can't show people only the most polished, put-together version of myself and also be fully known and accepted by you. So eventually we have to choose what kind of relationships do we really want? What kind of relationships do we hope to look back on? Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you're, not a, if you're not a church person, like, fulfilling the law of Christ is really exciting to us. Because this means that, like, we're living the way that Jesus wants us to live. And just by carrying one another's burdens. But I'm going to be really honest with you. I tend to read this verse, and others like it, to say, carry other people's burdens. Because that's within my comfort zone. I really like helping people, and I like feeling like I'm healthy enough to help people. But this verse is kind of this double-edged sword. Like, on the one hand, yes, personal health is important. And I want you to fight for personal health, like financial health and mental health and spiritual health and physical health. Like, you have to be willing to fight for those things for yourself, first off, because you're worth being healthy for. And also so that when other people need you, you have some sort of stability to offer. But listen, y'all, this verse isn't calling us to be everybody else's hero. This is calling us to be in a community where I can help people when they need somebody. But also so that I can be authentic 
when I'm not healthy. I have this memory from when I was in seminary. Uh, For those of you who don't know, seminary is like grad school for pastors, and so you think it would be really fun. Like, I just kind of imagined it like sitting around and talking about Jesus all day. It sounded great. Okay, it's not fun. It's a whole lot of, like, papers and books and academics. It's just, it's not fun, okay? And so there's this class you have to take. It's called Spiritual Formation, and it's mandatory. But it's basically two years of a small group with, like, six to eight other people. And it's the same people, and you don't know them. They just stick you in a group together, and you're supposed to meet once a week for two years so that you can graduate, right? Extremely. And it wasn't the people. Like, the people were super nice, and the group leader was amazing. But I would go every week with the attitude of someone who was told that they had to be there, right? And I would put into this exactly what I expected to get out of it, which was very little. Until the end of that first semester, we were supposed to do like a one-on-one thing with our leader. And so I remember we found like the courtyard area that was surrounded by a bunch of buildings. And we sat on a bench outside and I politely answered her questions. And she didn't buy it. And so she leaned into the conversation with grace and curiosity until the truth came out. And I was struggling. The the academics alone were overwhelming for me. And that my part-time job was too much. And that one by one, my friendships were failing. And y'all, as the truth came out about what was really going on in my life, the tears came too. Like the ugly ones. Like the ones that have snot, okay? And listen, I'm not even kidding with this. Like as I'm in the height of this ugly cry, class lets out. And so all the buildings surrounding the bench that we're sitting in begin to empty as people are going from one class to the next. And so now not only am I crying, which I hate, but I am crying in public. And then the inner narrative starts going. Have you all ever been here? Like this is such a scary, vulnerable place to be where all your junk is out there on the table, right? And my inner narrative starts going of like, oh, now she knows. Now she knows what a mess you are. She's probably going to tell you to drop out of seminary. She's going to tell you that you're not going to make it. She don't have what it takes. That you don't measure up. And I remember as I'm kind of in this space where I'm just like trying to get it together and also like that inner narrative is racing. And y'all, I never want to forget the words that she actually said to me. She said, Katie, I'm just going to stay right here. And you take as long as you need to to cry. I'm going to be here. And when you're finished crying... If you want to talk some more, I'll be here. And if you want to go home and process and come back, I'll be here. But I want you to know that I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this with you. And y'all better believe that the next time that I walked into her group, that my attitude had changed. Because I understood that whether I was succeeding fantastically in everything that I was accomplishing... Or if I was a failing mess, that I would have a place at her table. And that she would be there 
to bear my burdens with me. And maybe I'm too far out there on this one, but I think we all want to be a part of a community like that. But here's the deal. We're never going to get there if we hide our hurts. But the next step is scary. It is scary to be the first one to raise your hand in your group or in your friendship and say, hey, my marriage, or my kids, or my job or my life, we're not okay right now. Is this a space where I can be not okay? And will you help me bear this burden? It's a scary first step. And and I don't know what this step is that Jesus is calling you to. Like maybe it's just to be the first person to put tech in its place, to be the one in your family or in your group of friends or in your circle to say, hey, I want you all to hold me accountable on this. I made a decision to do one thing, to put my technology in its place. And will will you all call me out on this if you see me going back on what I committed to myself? Maybe it's to forgive someone who hurts you or to ask for forgiveness. But to say, listen, this relationship is important to me and I hope to look back on it over a long period of time and we're just not going to get there if I let every little thing be a reason to walk away. Or maybe it's to be the first person in your circle to take a step towards authenticity. And maybe that means that you join a group. Or maybe it means that you show up to the group that you've been attending and you like really lean in. And you say, hey guys, I'm going to share some stuff with you. And I'm just going to trust you to accept me where I'm at. And let me know how I can accept you where you're at. And maybe that's your next scary step towards closeness in your relationships. To receive someone who's not okay and to bear that burden with them. Not to judge them, to swallow the I told you so or the band-aid fix and just sit with them. Because here's what happens when we become a one another community. This is where it gets good. This is why it's worth putting our tech in its place and forgiving each other and for being authentic with one another. Because when we do so, we're actually retelling the good news of Jesus Christ to one another over and over and over again. Hey, I'm going to love you because Christ loved me when I was at my worst. I'm going to accept you because I am accepted by Jesus. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to bear your burdens with you because Jesus does so daily for me and that is the invitation from Jesus to be a part of that type of community a type of community that loves one another well but we're not going to get there if we keep people at a safe distance that next step towards closeness is terrifying it's a risk but it's a risk worth taking and so church let's commit To take one step closer towards Jesus and towards each other tonight. To be the kind of people that we are designed to be and that we were called to be. Will you pray with me? Jesus, oftentimes it feels like you've called us to the hardest things first. And sometimes we just have to take a step of faith. To say this doesn't feel right in the moment and I'm terrified or I've been hurt before. 
But God, you say, this is what you want for me. And so I'm going to trust you in that because I want to be a part of a one another community. Jesus, thank you for going first and showing us what authentic love looks like. It's in your holy name that we pray.